This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. People are going to lose their minds. This is a moment in history unlike anything humanity's gone through. It's a very different world for humans to come. Take a step back and see the broad picture, which is the way all these technologies are interlinked. Because this is all about exponentiality and humans can't think in exponential terms. How consequential do you want to say machine intelligence is? It's almost certainly as consequential as writing. How long did writing take to disseminate through the human population? You know, hundreds, thousands of years. And we're dealing with it now on a scale of months. But in this kind of world, you're compounding 100% growth every year and the numbers become astronomical. AI is going to spot patterns in the world that were just completely invisible to us. Even if you think that the AI and the robots are your demise, you might as well bloody invest in them and make some money out of it. If not, you're just going to be angry man shaking your fists at the clouds. So welcome, everybody. I'm really excited about the week ahead because everything is going to be on a topic that's dear to my heart, which I think is the biggest opportunity set we've ever been given. But it comes with a lot of complexity as well. And that's something I refer to as the exponential age. And the exponential age, just to remind you where the idea came from, originally, I had started to look at the Fed balance sheet as a denominator and realized that there was debasement of currency coming going on. And I started looking at everything versus the Fed balance sheet, and I found two assets that miraculously outperformed it, which was crypto and technology stocks. And I'm a macro guy. I hated investing in technology because technology was always for the stupid optimists, the people who never believed in mean reversion, and it was always expensive, and it just didn't suit me as a macro person. Most macro people in the same boat. And then I started to understand, well, why is it doing this? And as I did the work on crypto, I started understanding Metcalfe's law and network effects and adoption models. And I realized that technology was going through the same thing. So I then started going through the work on technology to understand why does it trade expensively? Why does it keep going up? Because you look at the log trend, it just keeps rising over time. The log trends of Amazon, Microsoft, the NASDAQ, Tesla, all of these things are endlessly bottom left, top right, but they're volatile when they're not on the log trend. So I want to understand that. Part of it was obviously the debasement of currency, but the other thing I started to realize was technology had been increasing in speed and also in kind of leap forward. And we were about to enter a period where we were probably going to get the fastest period of technological change humanity's ever lived through. That was the building blocks of what I then discovered were, now I'm going to read through the list because there's a lot of them, but I had, I broke it down to different layers. One was the um, infrastructure layer, which was kind of data networks, compute energy, um, and that's including EV and new energy and and, um, and nuclear. And then on top, uh, David Matten, who's, who's going to be joining me on this as well, um, thought that we would shuffle 
AI into the into that layer of the infrastructure layer, the base layer, the important part, which everything's built on top of. I had it in the next layer, which is the productivity layer. But I think David was very right in that. Productivity layer is like the application of these things together plus robotics and you get robotics, 3D printing and autonomous vehicles. Autonomous vehicles are nothing more than robots with AI. And in fact, most robots are just machines with AI. So AI, I did realize was a foundational layer. Then there was the digital value layer. That was how in this new world, this kind of world where we're getting increasingly digitized, we need digital currencies, digital payment systems, storage systems, methods of verification, everything else that blockchain does. And that was a very important foundational layer for all of this. And after that, it was like the human layer. How do we extend and understand humans better, uh, uh, extend their lives? And stuff like that was uh, wearables, biotech. Because when you put massive compute with lower energy costs and AI, you're going to make massive scientific breakthroughs. Um, and we will increase longevity, will solve all sorts of diseases. And these kind of things are all coming together the internet of things and the metaverse itself. So when I saw all of these things, I realized that we'd gone from the face that these were all being built over the last 10, 15, 20 years, but now they were at the age and point of adoption. And when I realized that, I realized that all of these individually had Metcalf law type models, which means they're very rapid. You have to look at them in logarithmic terms if you realize that all of these are actually interlinked, and if they're interlinked, then you get something which is Metcalfe's law squared, which is Reed's law. I actually asked ChatGPT4 if there's any example of Reed's law actually that's happened in technology, and it doesn't come back that there is one. It's happened in biology, but not in technology. So all of these things are about to accelerate. I first wrote the article, I think it was in like April 2021, and even I've been shocked by the speed of which AI came onto this world. We'd seen crypto, and that was the fastest adoption of any technology we'd ever seen. And AI dwarfed that. The speed of which it happened was extraordinary. So I've been writing about this in Global Macro Investor since April 2021. And I think it was of January that I asked David to help me. So David, how are you, my friend? Hello, Raoul. Very well. How are you? Great. Yeah, I mean, you've been down this rabbit hole on this journey with me as like sending postcards from the exponential age. Well, they're actually quite long articles and super interesting. How, what impact did it have to you when you saw this framework? Because you're in the technology space. You've been around it much longer. Yeah, but I, I think, think it I think seems to tie it together, right? Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, it's easy to... It's easy to see the individual elements. It's when you take a step back and see the, the broad picture, which is the way all these technologies are interlinked. You know, robotics, simulations, AI, virtual world, space technology. And you see the interactions they're going to have with one another and how that is going to accelerate what is already an acceleration, if I can put it that way. That's when you have your old fuck moment essentially you know and you realize i mean and you realize we're about to live through a wave of change that is historic i i just can't see how that's not the case and you can look back to other times in history when essentially you saw the death of an old world and the birth of a new world and how exciting that is how exhilarating it is 
the opportunities that are latent in it. But let's be frank as well, the difficulties, the pain that can be latent in it, all of this is heading our way and it's a tsunami and it's not going to play out across hundreds of years, like some of these shifts, you know, like that axial age shift, uh, you know, around the time of Christ is going to play out in decades. Uh, and it's just, it's very, very difficult to understand, but we have to do the work of trying to understand yeah, it. Humans, because this is all about exponentiality and humans can't think in exponential terms. You can't understand when things double every year, what that actually means. You know, it's like right. the power of compounding. People kind of understand that when, you know, Uncle Warren Buffett talks about the power of compounding. You're thinking, I'm going to compound my 8% returns. But in this kind of world, you're compounding 100% growth every year. And the numbers become astronomical. Like we yeah. saw the speed of AI getting to 100 million people in, what, three months? Yeah, right. I mean, uh, and we've set up an infrastructure now, essentially a connected world, you know, the internet, where innovations can just smash into humanity in months and we you know we, we simply have never lived in that world before you know when when comparable technologies were invented how long did it take them to disseminate through the human population i mean how 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 consequential do you want to say machine intelligence is it's almost certainly as consequential as writing how long did writing take to disseminate through the human population you know hundreds, thousands of years, and we're dealing with it now on a scale of months, you know, years. It, we can't comprehend that. I, I guess it's because we don't encounter exponentials in nature. You know, we we encounter linear change in nature. You do see in viruses, stuff like that, the some things. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But they take us unawares, don't they? I mean, and they, they, they radically, yeah, I mean, it's a good comparison and they just radically destabilize societies uh and now we're building something that's going to do that so it's a for people like us who who love to observe and try to make sense and build the big puzzle it is a thrilling time to be alive it's kind of a scary time too because we're heading into a future that just feels so uncertain and so new um that we that the that the work of understanding it is so crucial and i think you know, people are going to lose their minds. We've got like the election. I've got a piece coming out on Wednesday about AI and the election. We've got the US election, which is always a heightened sensitivity because of social media has now created this beast. Mm. We're going to throw in AI and then we're throwing in geopolitical stresses. And then we're going to throw in the existential threat to jobs and the economy and what this all means. And people just are going to grapple with this. And it's going to be how I've always thought about this is even if you think that the AI and the robots are your demise, you might as well bloody invest in them and make some money out of it. Because, you know, if not, you're just going to be angry man shaking your fists at the clouds. And where, where does that get you? Yeah, I mean, I, I under... Pe people, of course, people... All, all of this triggers a huge range of human emotion. And that's completely normal. And, and we, can't, we can't change that. Um, and people's emotions become confused and then their thinking about it becomes confused. They they think about whether or not uh, this wave of change is all going to be positive. You know, it's not. They think about whether they they personally are going to like all the implications. You know, they're not. And then they allow that to sort of govern in a simple way 
whether they want to be interested at all or whether they want to participate at all or even pay any attention. And those are very different things, you know, exactly as you say. I mean, any intelligent observer is going to see things happening around them that causes perplexity, dismay, all kinds of feelings. But you need to understand this. And, you know, you can't fight the weather. You may as well participate on some level, um, even if your participation is about saying, look, from my perspective, this is about insulating me from the, the insane wave of change that is coming. I want to build, you know, certain guardrails around my modes of existence as they are now, right? My work as it is now, like whatever it is. Um, but to do that, I need degrees of freedom and capacity to do it. That's a perfectly coherent uh, position, you know? Yeah. If, but if, if you're tech, if you love all this stuff and you just want to dive in and you want the chip in the brain, you're signing up for Neuralink, all of that, fantastic, great. You know, knock yourself. That's also a totally coherent position. There are all kinds of ways to face this but if your position is i'm going to turn away and not face it you know guess what it's not going to work it's going to smash into you whether you're facing it or you're turning away i just think also this is a moment in history unlike anything humanity's gone through and i know every day is a moment in history and there's always something big going on but this is a fundamental shift to humanity. I mean, like one of the things you and I have talked about, I mean, we've not talked on camera since June, but one of the things we talked about was that AI was the infinite scaling of knowledge. I mean, we can't get our heads around what these things mean and where this is going to lead to, but we are living history. And that's why I, I like a writing about it and documenting it in real vision to put our markers down as this thing unfolds. Because... You kind of forget. It was like the pandemic. It all happened so fast. And then you forgot to keep a diary of it. And then you've kind of got these blurred memories. But just to anchor yourself in what the hell is going on, I think is is just really important for people. So they, as you said, whether they like it or not, it doesn't matter, but you can't ignore it. Yeah, there's, yeah, I feel the same. There's just a huge, huge value and huge pleasure simply in, in documenting this. Um, you know, this is what it was like to live through it. This is this is the sound of someone trying to make sense of this insane wave of change. And I just don't think people understand how fast this is all coming. Here's one example that I saw just a couple of days ago. And I, this is totally mind-blowing. And it's an example that covers, look, robotics, simulated worlds, and AI, and brings them all together. NVIDIA have this simulation platform called Omniverse. Um, that allows the user to simulate complex, real-time physical environments. It simulates the physics in those environments. You know, you can bring the, the physical world into virtual space in this simulation platform that NVIDIA are developing called Omniverse. They've just launched, a couple of days ago this is, an AI agent in Omniverse called Eureka. And what that AI agent does is write autonomously writes code that teaches simulated robots how to move. And it's just written a ton of code that's taught simulated robot hands to perform incredibly complex manipulations. And it does this completely autonomously. It generates code that that starts a cycle of um, of kind of trial and error learning with the simulated robot hand um, 
and then it iterates. So it gets feedback from the robot hand to improve the code, which improves the learning of the hand. And what you're seeing is, you know, in a matter of days, weeks, hours, the training of robots to perform complex movements and operations in physical space that we'll then be able to take and translate into real robots. It's, it's mind-blowing. We have AI just autonomously training our robots for us now in simulations. <laughs> I, and I don't about, understand how fast it's coming. I wrote about a piece in GMI this month about the fact that they think they can use large language models to understand the language of whales and dolphins. Yeah. Uh, yeah scientists are producing these papers saying, yeah, we think this is applicable and it should work. And we can finally crack the code of what they're talking about and how and what their language is. I mean, that again is bonkers where we're starting to understand the language of animals. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. We've both been doing some pretty interesting interviews around this exponential age one. The Robert Scoble one, I loved. Because he's kind of all over this. Talk me through a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, he's an incredible, he's an incredible figure, you know, a Silicon Valley legend. For someone like me, a real legend too, because he's been writing about technology online his whole life. You know, in the early 2000s, when I emerged blinking into the world, you know, out of university, Robert Scoble was online writing all about technology. So he's a real OG of, of the kind of technology blogger, to use an old-fashioned word, space. The interview, I mean, go and check out the interview. It's incredible. You know, he talked a lot about humanoid robots and how fast they're coming in this piece. You know, he's got a kind of framework around how humanoid robots kind of converge with autonomous vehicles. So you'll have, you'll have autonomous vehicles delivering humanoid robots into people's homes um, on demand to, you know, fold the laundry, do the washing up, load the dishwasher, all of that, then hop back into the autonomous vehicle and go to the next house. Um, everything is a service and how that completely rewrites the economy. You know, it's the, it's the next technology that utterly transforms the texture of everyday life in the way that these things did, you know, in the way the phone did. He's, he's also massive into spatial compute and VR yes. and AR and all of that nexus. I don't know, did you ever see that? I think it was a BBC or at least a UK series called Humans. Yes, yes. Because, you know, that was brilliant because anybody who didn't say it, it was on Netflix, maybe it's still on Netflix, but it's a series about humans living with the AI robots and how they treat them. And it kind of addresses it from every angle, from racism to fear to empathy for the robots, hatred for the robots, the whole thing and what it does to society. I, I thought it was brilliant and it, it feels like it's closer than we imagine as well. It it is it it's it's a lot closer than it was in like 2015, 2016 when that show was playing. And yeah, I mean we can get deeply philosophical about it because you, you get, you know, what does it do to the economy? But then you get to places around what does it do for society and, and for politics? Because at what 
at what point do we start to have a genuine conversation about whether machine intelligence has some form of personhood? I bet in our lifetime, it's, it sounds crazy you know, now. And I argue I bet about in our lifetime like, we get to that conversation. You see, I think humans are anchoring themselves on humans and what we perceive as intelligence. You know, I always keep going back to watch the documentary on Alpha Go, the Deep Mind, playing Go. And it loses, it wins the first four games. It loses game number five, I think it was, against the human. There's commentators who are experts on the game. They're like, well, it's playing this move, it's playing that move. And that's like the Gary Kasparov versus the machine, you know, Deep, Deep Blue, you know, which was a machine learning model. It lost a game and then never lost a game ever again. And the next game, these humans are going, well, this is stupid. Why is it playing that? Nobody play this move. And it just didn't play human moves. And it was at that point, I'm like, I don't believe the bullshit narrative of stochastic power because it cannot do that. It cannot suddenly learn how to play a game and play it like no human has ever done it before when it's never been taught that. Because that model of kind of predicting the next thing doesn't work that way. I think that's really interesting. The guy from Anthropic, there was an excellent interview with him uh, on some podcast and he's like we've had to build an mri machine for our ai you know to try like we do with mri machines try and figure out brain activity we're trying to figure out how this bloody ai thinks yeah. and we can't we can't figure it out so i just you know when people talk about you know when it, when is it a person when does it have intelligence i'm like i don't think we have any clue whatsoever there was another thing that really struck me was Lex Fridman interviewing Sam Altman and um, Sam stopped him at one point stopped Lex and said do you think we've invented AGI we just don't know it yet and Lex stopped because he's a you know an expert in AI as well he stopped thought about it for a while and said I don't know yeah that is an amazing conversation <clears throat> it, it, I mean we're going what we're going to be forced to do is disentangle all kinds of uh, difficult concepts that are, at the moment are extremely entangled. I mean, one of the big ones that people tend to entangle, and this goes somewhat towards your point, is consciousness and intelligence. And they think that when we say these AIs are going to become, you know, superhumanly intelligent, like extremely, extremely intelligent that we are already saying that they have some form of consciousness or subjective experience. We're used to being in a world where the only highly intelligent creatures around us also have subject consciousness, subjective experience. We act as though we believe they, they do, you know, and that's other people. It's very hard even just to decouple intelligence and consciousness. And then you start to talk about, well, is it a person what does that mean? You know, what is the concept of personhood? I mean, you, you will start to talk about should it have certain rights, you know, things like that. I mean, this gets deep, deeply philosophical and, and it's going to it's going to shred people's heads, basically, and shred their conception of what human beings are and how we relate to one another and how we relate to the technologies around us. Because I think we're going to get to the point where we feel even more acutely than we're starting to now, that we're amid another way of seeing the world around us. And this is like the whale thing. AI is going to spot patterns in the world and see things in the world 
that were just completely invisible to us and feel like alien insight, but it's going to then sort of be able to translate it into something we can understand and use. Um, and that's going to be head spinning, you know, because it just, it will see the world in a completely different way. And we've never had another creature or entity among us that sees the world in a different way and can sort of tell us about it. Um, and it's, you know, yeah, it's going to be and, head spinning. You know, we can always, we keep going, going down the rabbit hole of AI, but that's just part of the exponential age because mm. <clears throat> one of the other ones is compute. And you wrote an article recently about quantum computing. And, you know, we've got an interview, I think, on Monday as well on ProCrypto about quantum computing and what it does to cryptography with Daniel Dargin, who was also part of the narrative around compute for distributive computing power, which is all part of the same thesis. What did you find out about quantum? How far away are we from that? And what would it mean if it came, if it comes? Because I yeah, kind of feel like I... quantum computing plus AI plus cheap energy equals un unfathomable outcomes. Yeah, it, well, yes, that's the too long didn't read. It is unfathomable. I've always found quantum to be a difficult space to assess, but I went because it is early and it and the potential implications are so head spinning and it's obviously deeply, deeply technical. But I went down the rabbit hole exactly for that for that essay for GMI. And my conclusions essentially were that we are at something of a we're at something of an inflection point moment, you know, and it's really interesting the company's making progress in this space. I mean, IBM are, you know, you how often do we talk about IBM? Not not too often these days, but they really are leading the charge on on quantum computing. And right now it's still in in a place where it's about coaxing quantum bits, so-called qubits together and and massaging them in the right way so that they remain kind of coherent they remain in a quantum state and ibm are working with a quantum computer that is you know say a thousand i think a thousand and twenty four qubits and they're saying you know next year that they've got a four thousand qubit computer that they they think they'll be able to, to to kind of operate usefully um we need to get to tens hundreds of thousands millions of qubits operating in in unison uh, before we get to the kind of results we're talking about or we dream of but yeah, it's probably we, what if, 20 years away yeah we're talking deck i think we're talking decades away here but if we get there you know like i say in the essay we're not talking about operations that uh, might have taken uh, a few months but now you can do in a few days we're talking about operations that would have taken 80 million years for the world's fastest current supercomputer and now take a day you know and and you know so number one yeah it just blows apart all cryptography the security of all the world's data the encryption of all the world's data because that's built around the idea the fact that currently you know to break that to break that encryption would would take millions of years of com of compute power but quantum will do it in seconds um but then there is just incredible implications across the board you know if we can if we can cultivate that kind of compute power you know the things we can do for example in the life sciences and the material sciences are just amazing and it's the life sciences and the material sciences particularly that are such exciting spaces because obviously at a subatomic level reality is operating in quantum ways 
um, and quantum computing because it runs on quantum bits, bits that can be in more than one state at once, is very good at simulating that kind of behavior. So we'll be able to, you know, cultivate new kinds of like small molecules, assess new kinds of proteins, develop new kinds of materials using that kind of compute power, just exponentially faster and more, uh, more powerfully than we can now. Quantum physics has been quite interesting because of these quantum computers and kind of proving that quantum physics kind of happens where two things are in the same time in different spaces. Um, D. Smith, who I've just interviewed on the platform, got me down the rabbit hole. He said, read a book called American Cosmic, and it was about UFOs. Yeah, yeah. And I started to think, I've been, I've been going down some weird rabbit holes about both ghosts or those kind of other experiences and the UFOs. And I'm kind of thinking, I don't know if you've ever seen um, his Dark Materials, the, the Northern Lights trilogy. It feels that maybe a reason for that is because these are kind of the ability to see into a different quantum field, whether it's time. So people of a different time, things of a different time. I don't know. I think there's a lot. Around. I mean, this, yeah, I mean, this is absolutely, it's, it's true. It's absolutely fascinating. And this is one for a late night one with a, with a cocktail or a whiskey or something like this, because I mean, yeah, quantum, quantum, the quantum account of how reality works at the deepest level is, is of course, we all know utterly, utterly strange. And you have to ask yourself if the current picture we have of, of ultimate reality out there is is sort of adequate it would appear there are things going on that are just realms and realms and realms beyond our current understanding and and yeah when when you start to think about sort of unexplained phenomena you know and ufos can be part of that um you have to be open-minded to the idea that the essentially what i'm saying the current scientific mainstream account of reality is not right this is one. This is one. We could get. We you know, could and this is, people are going to watch this and yeah, think yeah. they've lost their fucking minds. But honestly, these are from serious people. These are not kind of yes. you know UFO you know hacks. These are serious people, serious scientists about all of this and past lives and all of this kind of stuff. And it just feels like it's connected within this quantum physics. I have no idea. But anyway, that's just an aside that something big is going on. Another thing that I'm really interested in is. The nexus of, you know, we talked a bit about robotics and AI and EV and new energy. And <clears throat> that to me gets me to Tesla, which is that, that stock everybody loves to hate. But I don't think people understand still that they've essentially trained a large language model to be like a video language model or a large video model. So they're taking, so how all um, autonomous vehicles were being used was basically machine learning. So somebody was typing in stop sign equals stop. You do this, you do that. And kind of that's how it was coded. And then Elon flipped on his head. I'm sure others have done it before him, but basically flipped on his head and scale and said, we're just going to take the eight cameras in each Tesla. There's 5 million Teslas. And we're just going to ingest all of that and train AI how to drive based on how humans drive. And that's what they're doing with the world's largest supercomputer, Dojo, which is still ramping up. The amount of compute power and the amount of video processing that trains now cars to drive without essentially the machine learning element is a massive breakthrough because that's what trains robots to operate 
in a human environment or a non-human environment like Mars. Um, these are really, really big things. So a Tesla becomes a robot with intelligence drived on non-fossil fuels, an alternative fuel source. And you take the same technology and put it in a humanoid robot and you've got the Optimus. Yeah. And, exactly. and then the other idea is the Neuralink, which is the connector between humans and all of that technology as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I had an absolutely fascinating conversation with with the thinker that I know you love as well, Fallacy Alarm, that focused on on Tesla um, and his, his thesis essentially, and I think fundamentally I, I'm in the same place, is that the next great technological paradigm and innovation paradigm is what he calls real world AI. It's essentially harnessing machine intelligence and AI um, to to manifest in in physical in the physical world in in the so-called world of atoms to you know to navigate our cars to navigate our robots to do all kinds of amazing things not kind of in the cyber sphere in the internet sphere that we've been playing in for the last thirty years or so but finally in the real world an incredible wave of innovation in physical reality fueled by machine intelligence and that Tesla is building a unique position when it comes to that platform, that real world AI platform. Because exactly as you say, at the heart of everything they're doing is a, is a supercomputer and forms of machine intelligence that just give objects the capability of autonomously coping with and navigating around and doing useful work in the real world. And that is just profound. It's much more than just a car. I mean, obviously the car dimension is huge. The robot dimension is huge, but the the machine vision, the, the the kind of the fuel that's driving all this, uh, is just that that is just insane. And Elon's yeah taking lidar out of the cars, just using cameras, so he could use the same machine vision AIs for the robot, which just has cameras in it. It's all coming together. Hey everyone, we're gonna take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's also fascinating about Elon is, you know, my thesis has been that he's, and again, people are not going to like this or they're going to love this, but the reality is he's going to first principles to go to Mars. And so the first issue to solve is how do you get there? And the second issue is how do you pay for it? And the third issue is, well, how do you build anything on Mars? Because it's inhospitable. And if you break down every project he's done, they're all for that mission and they all generate cash flow and massive amounts of cash flow. Um, so, you know, because you need a robot to go to Mars first to do manual labor or do whatever, because it's inhospitable to humans. Mm. The boring company, I believe, is to bore underneath Mars, and it's the same size. I've gone through this. The specs of the of the boring machine is the same size as the large rocket. Um, so it looks like it, it's a potential payload. Now, whether it can do that yet or not, I doubt it. Um, then there's the just the self-driving cars with, with alternative energy source. That means it can go around on Mars because there's no oil there, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It becomes 
very, very interesting. But the other thing Elon did in this whole process is how to make SpaceX cash flow positive was obviously charge for rockets and become the, I mean, unbelievably, he controls more rockets than anybody on Earth in terms of output. But but then he built Starlink. And I use Starlink Little Cayman, and it's mind-blowing. But if you think of what he's doing, he's got all of the cars with all of the cameras training all of the AI and all of the robots, and he's now going to own the entire fucking internet from space. Right. Yeah, yeah. He's going to be the most powerful man in existence if this continues. Yes, yes. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, yeah, the, the, the concentration of power and technological capability is becoming beyond belief and stupendous. And I, re I mean, in terms of just the machine vision component, you know, I, I said to when I spoke to Fallacy Alarm, and I think he agrees, there's a huge play there to essentially become the Amazon web services of machine vision, you know, to, to be the machine vision capability that fuels all kinds of like, you know, objects and brands and businesses with, with their autonomous robots and cars kind of floating around the world. And that is just immense power if you are essentially the, the fuel behind all of that. And this taps into, as you said, you know, one of one of my underlying frameworks for understanding the exponential age which is that machine intelligence becomes something akin to a new form of energy it becomes foundational becomes a kind of infrastructure that just powers everything going on above it it's very difficult again for us to conceptualize a world where intelligence is abundant intelligence is on tap not human intelligence machine intelligence is abundant and on tap and just fuels everything that's going on but that is the world we're heading to, uh, and the other the, the the other world we're heading to is space. You know, we talked I talked a bit about space, and I've got coming back at the end of this week is Leon Alkali, who blew me away because here's this you know serious scientist from the Jet Propulsion Labs, and he's been through the whole space program forever, and now he's a VC investing in space. I'm like, why why invest in space? Surely it's you know Amazon are trying to do a bunch of stuff. It's not that real. There's Elon, fine, we get that. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand what's going on out there. You know, people are setting up server farms in space, so you don't have to beam, beam down the data. And they're using crypto payments up in space, and they're going to put a 3D printing. He's like, 3D printing is so important because we can now print parts for rockets on the moon, use the dark side of the moon, which has less gravitational pull, which can push us further out into this, asteroid mining. And I, my jaw was to the floor because this is not some kind of hyperbolic VC 30-year-old from Silicon Valley. This is a serious, serious guy from Jet Propulsion Lab. So I can't wait to catch up with him to find out what the hell's been going on in space. I mean, you wrote some articles about it, but to get it from him firsthand, because he'll see it early stage, what's happening. Yeah, yeah, it was an incredible conversation with him, and I cannot wait to see part two of that. And again, this is another one that's crept up on people, and they don't, they, they haven't seen how how fast it's happened, and then, and and how the exponential is taking off right now. You know, in the year 2000, launch costs to get to space was about $64,000 a kilogram. It's now about $800 a kilogram. That's happened in like, what, you know, 20, 25 years, say. It was $400 million for a satellite. And these satellites were like massive dumpster trucks, $400 million, another $200 million to launch it, if you were lucky, because half the launches didn't work. You can now, you know, you now have people building a satellite for a million dollars. The satellite is about the size of a loaf of bread. 
you know, it's, it, it, it weighs a few kilograms. It, it's just, and so the, the ecosystem of startups that's blossoming in that environment where launch costs, the costs of access to space is now so low. The ecosystem that's blossoming there is just incredible. You have incredible startups, you know, Spire, they've got the, a ton of sat, like little satellites in space, just looking at the entire surface of the earth constantly and selling that as a service now for people that want to track the progress of, you know, an individual uh, container ship or an individual small craft across the surface of the earth. Just incredible startups playing in that space. So yeah, I can't wait to hear part two. Also, the other thing that's happening is, you know, both you and I believe that over time we will find alternative sources of energy at much lower prices. So fossil fuels, because you have to mine it, just has kind of a fixed cost element to it. And once we do, and it'll be a combination between all the things that we know, the things that we don't know, plus probably nuclear. And what's been fascinating to me is see Microsoft building, it looks like it's got permission to build nuclear fission, fusion, fusion, whichever the small one is, the micro-nuclear plants to power um, the AI computes right. and stuff like that. Because they know it's energy intensive, so they I think they've got the license to be able to do this, which I think is just the start of the journey of that, which is something you and I have talked about as well, is like a distributed energy network. Because now you yeah. can get these nuclear things that are like boxes. Yeah, yeah. I think I think and I wrote about this and we'll talk a lot more about it in future, I think, because it's it's a deep underlying relationship in the exponential age emerging between AI and and energy. We're moving towards a distributed energy system based on renewables, based on solar and wind. Um, they're intermittent. You know, the sun doesn't always shine, the wind doesn't always blow. As the people who oppose all of this constantly say, like, and yes, that's true. So it's intermittent. It has to be managed. Um, it has to be distributed and smart and interconnected. And the only thing that can manage that for us and make it all work is machine intelligence, um, which which is extremely energy intensive. So what you are going to start to see is this symbiotic relationship emerge between our energy and machine intelligence, where AI manages the energy. More energy allows us to have more AI. More AI allows us to manage more, create more and manage more renewable energy, energy and distribute it. And you get this flywheel effect between AI and energy. I mean, this is a simplified version. I talk a lot more about it in the essay. You get this symbiotic relationship between AI and energy that I think is fundamental to the exponential age. And I, I, I want to understand a lot more about that, be more granular about how it's going to work and what the implications are, you know, what the implications are for investors. And I also think the other layer we've kind of touched on is this human layer is what does it mean for us? You know, we're kind of used to people wearing Apple watches or wearing, you know, rings that give them some biometric data, but that's going to change a lot. So we're already seeing one of the fitness apps have AI models built into it that gives you recommendations about what you should be doing uh, and give you endless improvements learning off your data. That's just the start of this, you know, it not only augments human intelligence, but augments humans' management of themselves as as biological creatures. You know whether it's cracking biosciences that we've talked about by using huge computational power and AI, but just this wearables, 
the AR AR environments where you're now augmenting everything you see, everything you hear, in that blend between reality and and um, digital worlds. It, it's it's a very different world for humans to come. Yeah, I mean, it, very very different, almost incomprehensibly so. And, you know, we're going to fall into, uh, I've been banging the drum for this for years. You know, I've been talking about what I used to call virtual companions for years. And as I think I've said to you before, you know, 10 years ago, when I would go to a bank or I would go to, you know, some, some audience that wanted to hear what I think about where we're all heading. And I would say, look, people's relationship with, with AI is changing. It's going to become about more than just transaction and functionality, it's going to become about higher order human needs like health and wellness and they're going to turn to ai companions for kind of counsel and friendship and conversation you know they'd look at me like i was insane look at what's happening now you have a platform like character ai created by some of the google engineers who who worked on the original paper that's fueling this generative ai wave um and character ai is all about building your own little ai fueled you know generative ai fueled um virtual creature virtual pet or character and then talking to it and having fun with it and treating it as though it's your friend. And we're at the start of a massive wave of virtual companions and people falling into a relationship with these kinds of entities. Yeah, I'm also giving a peek behind the curtain, not quite as shocking as that world of having friends of that, but I'm also working on a on a Raoul AI bot trained on everything, all of the content I've ever done. So you kind of get, you know, Raoul in your pocket. You can ask me questions. It's kind of... I mean, it's weird, but that's the world we're going into and soon it'll be voice driven and then it can also be video driven. So you just have a call with me and have a chat. It's kind of weird, but I I feel like I might as well throw myself headfirst into being at the forefront of some of this stuff because it's happening anyway. And I think it's going to be very interesting. And hopefully, you know, whether I add value or not is a different matter, but, you know, scaling doctors in your pocket in ways that we don't yet understand where you've got wearable devices, you've got the AI, you can talk to the doctor whenever you want and worry about this, what happened, or he wakes you up in the middle of the night and says, well, you've been, you know, you've had sleep apnea. You know, these things are going to change humans. Yeah. And, deep, and just help people deep, a lot. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look at, look at what Meta are doing now. You know, they just announced this wave of AI that they're weaving through all their platforms. And part of that is a is a is a line, isn't it, of of, of essentially virtual companions, AI fueled companions, and they've even got these kind of ce- they've got celebrities to kind of face them, which I think is a bit of a strange decision. It's like yeah. Paris Hilton, Snoop Dogg, but it's not really them. You know, it's you're talking to them as a character. I mean, anyway, that's for them to figure out. But you can see clearly yeah. where this is heading, and I've this is the beginning. I've also heard that Netflix is working on this, so you can, so the programming becomes interactive Mm. that you can play part of it because it's the AR VR plus these kind of digital characters. So none of this then becomes like actors in a film or it now becomes AI playing a role and you can play a role within it. So you're living now in this, you can live in a soap opera or a drama or reality TV show. You can be in it. I mean, I, I know this all sounds like Black Mirror because it is. <laughs> That's where this is going, right? You know, Charlie Brooker is some kind of um, dark genius uh, in terms of extrapolating the, yeah, 
the, the directions of these trends and, and dramatizing it. There's no denying that, you know, I mean, so Black Mirror does get name checked all the time and I get that. Um, it is and it is a very interesting show for playing in this space and thinking about where the, these things are heading. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're going to, uh, and the, the implications, you know, the Railbot is so interesting because the implications of this for artists, for creators, for anyone who creates IP is really profound. You know, I mean, I've written in my own newsletter about how essentially I think we're heading to a space where the, the creators or artists own life is seen as just sort of the first step, almost the preface in a longer journey where they produce work that trains an AI model um, and deeply trains it across the course of decades, you know, if they create for decades. And then that model can create in their own unique particular style, essentially forever when they're gone. Um, there's all kinds of IP implications of that. It's an entirely new way for creators and artists and actors well, to scale because themselves. It's not, because it's not me on a video channel talking you and I are a video channel, it now becomes an interactive version of me. It's me to many, mm. as opposed to, you know, me individuals to many individuals, as opposed to broadcast, which is just, again, a whole different way around it. The other thing about this, oh, the other person I've got to talk about all of this who's brilliant was Geordie Visser. Did you ever see my interview with Geordie? Yeah, I did. I did. He's a brilliant guy. Another ex-macro guy. You know, he runs a big fund management firm uh, called Weiss Hedge Fund Firm. And he's fallen deep down this rabbit hole. I was in his offices in New York recently. I mean, he's basically retooling his entire business around AI and is a great thinker on it. So we'll have a bit of fun on the macro and AI. Because, you know, the other thing about this is it's all well and good to just think about all of these amazing things happening, the scary things happening, all of that. But, you know, most of us want to make some money as well. And, you know, you know, I created that exponential age basket which was my just a kind of dumb idiot's guide to maybe we just put a few of these things together, not very well thought out. And, you know, that's done extremely well. It's up like 50% this year, just based on just getting those broad themes right. And I just think, you know, there's the potential for even a stock like Tesla or any of the technology companies, I think... If we're right in this thesis, these companies become larger than any companies have ever been in the past, and they're already gigantic. Yeah, yeah. The, the, there's a there's an incredible, incredible wave of value creation coming from this. Yeah, and yeah, I just think what's so special about Real Vision is that it can empower people to to benefit from that, to understand it, and put themselves in a place where, you know, however they want to live and whoever they want to be and whatever their attitudes are and their feelings are about all of this. And like I say, there's huge ranges of legitimate feelings and attitudes and orientations to this. But living them out means empowering yourself and taking charge, um, understanding, and look, yeah, investing, developing financial options. Um, and that's what's so special <clears throat> about, you know, what Real Vision does and the journey people can go on when they when they watch when they watch these incredible conversations. Yeah, and we you know we can't leave out crypto as part of this because this is going to be the infrastructure layer for the entire financial industry. We're seeing it happening. I mean, in front of our eyes, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, everybody, the European Investment Bank, using issuing bonds on Ethereum, using different payment systems, central bank digital currencies, 
stable coins, you know, NFTs, what, you know, the, the scale of what is happening in that space. Yes, again, it always feels like this, but when you look at it, it just does this over time as adoption happens, you know, the opportunities and the stuff in that is big. So I think also on this week, I think I'm on pro crypto with Kevin Kelly talking about the, the nexus between macro and, uh, and crypto, which is always one of these things. I just love how all of these themes all weave together. And then we've got the macro on top, which is the driver. It's like, I'm looking at this moment in time. And the big driver for all of these trends, one of the big drivers is obviously debasement of currency because we're dealing with an over-indebted world. And we're getting to the situation where the bond market is freaking out so much because they're trying to issue so much debt that at some point, the central banks are likely to have to reverse course. That gets a very interesting setup to 24, 25 for both technology investing and crypto investing. So I really think that the end of this year is very positive from a macro perspective for this stuff. And the next two years after that are all to play for. So, you know, my whole focus is on this right now. I just think, you know, if humanity is going to go through this, we might as well be involved. And if the if the if the humanity is fucked up the macro so badly by having massive debts of this aging population, um, the only way and slow growth, the only way around it is technology and productivity. And yeah, you know, I wrote that article, um, Robots of the New Demographics which is part of that is like, well, if you can't, GDP growth is driven by population growth, productivity growth, and debt growth. Well, we've reached the end of debt growth. Population growth, we're actually starting to shrink in most developed countries. But the moment you put in robots and AI, you've created infinite people. Yeah. So does that mean infinite GDP growth? I don't know, but maybe. Depends on the constraints. You'll have energy constraints and other stuff. And what does that do to productivity? I mean, it could yeah. change everything. Yeah, I think I think it does. You know, and and Elon thinks the same. You know, I mean, he the the quote that always sticks in my mind from his uh, from him about the the Optimus robot is, look, he thinks the Optimus robot is that he's the even bigger play than the car, and essentially he's like, you know, if we can if we can get this out there at scale, I don't even know what the economy means anymore at that point. Because human, you know, you just human labor, which is such a fundamental part, obviously, of the economy, the, the the role of it, the role of labor and the nature of labor just changes fundamentally. What does that mean for the economy? And then on top of that, for society, for people's lives, for education, you know, the implications are just staggering. And look, I hold my hands up when two years ago, whatever it was, he brought a dancing man in a white spandex suit on stage and said, we're launching a humanoid robot. I said, I will take that with a heavy pinch of salt. And now look, you know, the, the, the Optimus robot is, is autonomously sorting objects, you know, by hand. So it, it can do that physically. And it's got the, the kind of cognitive intelligence wherewithal to do the sorting. It's moments away from hitting fulfillment centers, you know, warehouses, and being useful. And look, again, a couple, of, I mean, I talked about the NVIDIA example, a couple of days ago, what did we see out of Amazon? News that they are trialing humanoid robots in some of their fulfillment centers, not Optimus ones. I think they're made by a company called Agility. Uh, but yeah, they're trialing humanoid robots. Uh, they have 750,000 robots in their fulfillment set centers already. They employ 1.6 million people in those fulfillment centers around the world. 
and they're doing what all the companies always do, <clears throat> excuse me, which is saying, oh, this is not going to displace any jobs. You know, we're just, we're doing this so to, to kind of experiment with how the robots work alongside the people and then we'll kind of liberate the people to do more fun things. And I'm sure on some level they believe that. Um, the implications are going to be profound, you know, and, and yet exactly as you say, what can we do? We can understand it. We can build models. Um, and however it is we want to live and whoever it is we want to be, we can make money that empowers us to do yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I have the two sides of this. One is I've got my house in Little Cayman, which is an island of 140 people. It's the last place the robots are coming for. Um, although I'm on my Starlink there, but generally speaking, it's like back to nature and I can escape some of this madness. But also I'm going to throw myself into the madness by getting involved with much of this as possible, investing in it, and everything else because i think it's what a moment to be alive is what i think of all of the time the other thing is there's people watching this who's like what well, you know this stuff is too racy for me because it's so volatile it's so hard to learn but then there's plenty of opportunities in rare earth minerals or copper just to make electricity there's many many ways or uranium you know i know many people have got that bet on about nuclear power there's many ways to play this theme that you that other people can feel comfortable with and you know that's part of the exploration that will happen over the course of this week so look, i'm really excited you've got some good conversations i've got some good conversations we're going to learn a shit ton of stuff and then we'll come back on friday you and i uh to talk through our learnings and uh maybe make a big announcement as well yeah cannot wait <clears throat> cannot wait for the conversations i've got in store and i i can't wait to hear yours because yeah you're connecting with some brilliant brilliant people yeah, it should be a lot of fun. All right, David, let's enjoy the week and we'll touch base at the end of it. See you soon. People are going to lose their minds. This is a moment in history unlike anything humanity's gone through. It's a very different world for humans to come. Take a step back and see the broad picture, which is the way all these technologies are interlinked. Because this is all about exponentiality and humans can't think in exponential terms. How consequential do you want to say machine intelligence is? It's almost certainly as consequential as writing. How long did writing take to disseminate through the human population? You know, hundreds, thousands of years. And we're dealing with it now on a scale of months. But in this kind of world, you're compounding 100% growth every year and the numbers become astronomical. AI is going to spot patterns in the world that were just completely invisible to us. Even if you think that the AI and the robots are your demise, you might as well bloody invest in them and make some money out of it. If not, you're just going to be angry man shaking your fists at the clouds. 